and welcome to Convos and Cocktails, where we talk, you engage, and we all get to drink. I'm your host, Lissa Khotlabi, and I'm ready to whine a little and hopefully laugh a lot with our guest. Although, on today's episode, we have me, myself, and I, that's all I got in the end. Ooh, uh, <laughs> and we'll be discussing or I'll be discussing the journey that Converse and Cocktails season one was and also answering some personal questions that you guys may have sent. Although it looks like it's all on one topic, um, but it is what it is. Um, and the cocktail on today's menu is something that's very nostalgic to me. The reason why I chose it, I think I was, I'll talk about the reason first before I name it, but I think it was the first cocktail that I ever had. It was the cocktail that made me feel like, okay, now I'm an adult. <laughs> now I'm really drinking. Um, and it also reminds me of my days in university because before I found the drink that I actually drank today, um, it was just that drink that I thought we have to drink. Like, what? It's delicious. Um, it gets the job done on a budget. And it was fun. I think we all were in that 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 phase. I think if you were in Vits or UCT between the years 2007 and maybe 2010, you were drinking Long Island iced tea. So that is my cocktail of the day. It is also delicious. Um, this version isn't as as strong as the others that I had, or maybe I'm just a drinkist now. <laughs> but it is what it is. So I'm going to be answering some of your questions, but also just talking about the journey of creating this podcast. It's been a super personal journey for me. I've enjoyed it so much. I can't wait to come back with season two. I will be answering questions about that as well. But um, yeah, so let's get started. It's, it's so much more nerve wracking being in the studio alone, I must say. Uh, I think it's usually a lot easier for me to have a guest, um, to have someone there to kind of be, you know, my calm and I get to be the calm one. They get to be the nervous one. And obviously having a conversation conversation with someone else, which is much easier than talking by yourself. But yeah, I hope this episode, you know, gives us a a little bit of a sense of how season one was for me. This podcast was actually a a passion project. Um, You know, first I was approached to do something a bit more, you know, for a corporate or a brand, but I decided that I think season one or my first foray into podcasting should be very personal, should be the topics I want to talk about, should be the guests I want to interview, just things that have interested me in my own life and from what I've seen on my Instagram, my followers as well, because I think one of the things that has been I've been most proud of on my Instagram is that I seem to have collected a tribe of people who are very similar to me in interests, very similar to me in energy. Everybody's kind of so nice. Everybody's so positive. Everyone is so funny. But we're all interested in having the real conversations that we don't really get to hear on the airwaves much today, especially, you know, black women, for black women, by black women, for black queers, by, I mean, not by black queers because I'm not, but you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's a safe space for us all. So, yeah. So the first question is, was there any specific thing or event that made you go, hmm, I'm doing it. I'm starting this podcast. So, yeah, I think, like I said, I was I was approached to do a podcast for a, a specific channel, I guess. But, you know, things didn't really come together as soon as I wanted them to. And I also just have thought about doing a podcast for many, many years. But I think I, along with, you know, the rest of South Africa, especially black women, suffer from you know, having this thing of we're not good enough or, you know, no one will no one will listen. No one will listen to me. I'll put out a podcast and have two views and then what's the point? Um, because obviously a podcast is for yourself, but it is also to engage an audience. Um, so I think I was just always really nervous that I didn't think 
people would tune in necessarily have I built enough of an audience do I have enough of a voice that people want to engage with um, and, and you know after the Monday series I think I felt comfortable to do it and so yeah I, I decided to just get a microphone I also have the most amazingly supportive management team anyone could ever ask for uh, shout out to Wesley you know and team at WMG Rep you know they were like we're going to do this together because one thing that I don't think people know is that a podcast is not free <laughs> it is you know it's money every episode and they were just down to support and you know let's do this together let's make this happen because we believe in your voice we believe you have something to say we believe that the audience engages with you in such a special way that you've created on your on your Instagram and why not make it a podcast so that's the reason that made me decide to just do it. And also, I think sometimes you just have to face your fears. Um, I still have moments where I sit down and I'm like, will anyone care about this specific topic? Because it's very personal to me. Or, you know, will anyone engage the way I want them to engage? But I think after episode one, it was more... I'm having such a good time. I'm really enjoying getting to engage with different people because not everyone on my podcast um, so far in season one has been someone that I knew personally beforehand. So it was just a time for me to get to learn other people, learn about other topics and learn about myself. Um, because like I said, most of the topics are important to me, but I felt like they were also important to us. They're things that when I talk about on my Instagram, I get a lot of engagement. I get a lot of comments and I can see that, you know, especially black women, we, we don't really have a space. I don't think in South Africa, um, where we having these honest conversations that are no holds bars, no judgment and just about the things that actually really matter to us, you know, um, as a 33 year old woman and having, you know, people who in my following space who are of similar age, maybe some younger, maybe some older, but we are having these, we want to have these conversations. Sometimes we're having them with friends, but we're not really having them in the public sphere. So it just felt like to me, there was a gap and an opportunity to have these conversations that we so desperately want to have, so desperately need to have, but often don't for fear of judgment. Um, and also for fear that no one else really cares when there's such a big group of people who do. So, yeah. And I'm so sorry. No, actually, I'm not sorry. I'm going to talk a lot <laughs> because I can. It's my space. But also, I'm really passionate about this. I'm really excited about this. So, yeah. Just going to have a sip of quick sticks. So, the second question is, what advice would you give anyone fighting internal fear and doubt to just start? I don't have advice other than just do it. We all have, you know, imposter syndrome. We all deal with the fact that we feel like we're not good enough. We feel like no one really cares about our voice. And I don't just mean this in a podcast sense, because I think this relates to anyone starting or trying to start something, someone who wants to follow their passion, someone who wants to, to get started in something that just might not be seen before, or they might not think they have the relevant voice. Oh, someone else can do this, but like, why would anyone listen to me? Or someone else can do this, but why would anyone buy my product? Why would my thing, you know, take off? And for me, it's a passion-based thing. I think if you are committed to the passion of it, it actually doesn't really matter the outcome because like I said, initially I was nervous about doing it because I thought no one would listen. But through the season, I felt like even if no one listens, this is just super important to me. And I think it reflected through the conversations that that was the case. And that was probably what made it more um, popular or more interesting to other people was that you could hear I was coming from a place where it was just personal and I was having so much fun. But my 
my imposter syndrome advice is is to just do it because people who do things, people who are courageous or bold, like my mom said in the previous episode, aren't people who are devoid of fear or aren't people who are not scared. It's just people who know that despite the fear, despite the doubt, you just need to do it because if not you, then who? And if not now, then when? We have literally one life. <laughs> um, ooh, I don't want to be all a yanla because I always <laughs> tease my mom and say, you're such an a yanla sometimes. But literally, I think her yanlaring has, has sunk in somehow. And now I'm, I'm saying the same thing. It's just to just do it. Because people will always have something bad to say. One thing about me, I have a whole host of people who don't like what I do, don't like the way I do it, and are very vocal about that. So if I listened to that kind of thing, because my doubt doesn't come from within. I'm not, I'm not necessarily doubtful because I don't think I can. I'm doubtful because I've been told I can't. And yeah, I think it's just important to, to override that because whether you can or can't is up to you. People will always have something to say, whether you're bomb or not. So yeah. Um, and the next question is, I love the season. Well, it's a comment, but are you considering recording for YouTube next season? So that's my dream. Um, I would love to make season two a visual element as well, as well as um, having the audio for people who want to listen when they're driving or just doing other stuff like working. So the problem is with podcasting or not the problem because everybody needs to make money, but it is it is money. So it is a, a kind of thing where on top of, you know, paying for sound engineering and the quality that you hear today would be to have then a videographer or someone to to make the visual element come true. And I would love to do YouTube because I do think even listening to some of the conversations, even as a person who was in the studio recording and seeing the facial expressions at the time, I feel like it would be so nice to have, to see that, to see, you know, Wendy laughing or you know, me crying or Penny being sassy or any one of my guests, Rondo Atlahang. I mean, I don't want to name them because there's 10 or nine, um, but any one of my guests just expressing because I also had super expressive guests and I think it would be such a nice element to add a, a visual component. So yes, it is on my bucket list, but it is also sponsorship pending because at the moment carrying the costs is just, it's weighing heavy on my shoulder. <laughs> Wow, I can make myself laugh, which is my biggest strength. <laughs> um, when can we expect the next season? Again, it would have to be when the sponsorship is there, you know. Um, this is something that me and my team are carrying, and it's an amazing experience, but it is also costly as hell from a time perspective for them, but also from a literal financial perspective. So I'm really hoping that we're able to get a partnership um, going for next season and only then will I be able to tell you when. And hopefully by the end of this year. Um, but it is also good to take a break and just re-look at the season, see what I did right, see what I did wrong, because it is my first season. There are things that, you know, I could have improved on um, or done differently or feel like I could have done differently. So back to the drawing board as well, just to make sure that season two, as season one was, is incredible and gives you the same quality. Um, this question, I'm not really sure how to answer because it says, please expand more on your conversation with Wendy. I feel like it's a bit of a, it's a loose question because I'm not really sure on what component of the conversation with Wendy you want to sort of go into. But I've been having conversations this week on on Instagram about, you know, the plus size women to me who are often overlooked in an industry that 
that often overlooks plus size women, just as pure and simple as it is. You have to be even more funny. You have to be even more fabulous. You have to be even more insanely talented and gifted to get a, a little piece of the pie that sometimes I would say is served with mediocrity. Um, and that's not to say that, oh, if you're not big, you're not serving, obviously. But for me, Yoliswa, um, who I'm hoping and dying to have in my, my next season, is just an example of somebody who should be way, way bigger than she is in this industry of, you know, she's a fashion influencer, but also a creative director. And she just should be where a lot of the other girls are and, and beyond that. Because even when you go to her feed, a lot of the times you look at photos and you think it's for a campaign or you think it's, and it's just Yoli Swa on a Tuesday <laughs> going for tea with the girls. So, and that's just what she looks like. That's how she chooses to show up. She puts so much thought into her looks, her creativity. And that's her whole family, by the way. Like shout outs to Nandipa, to Tomega and to Mama. Um, because I, they just all so fabulous all the time. They, really present looks, I don't know how to pronounce it, looks, um, and make sort of a, a, a show of content creation. You're in the story with them, you, the fabulosity. Ah, I really could go on about them forever. But I think for me, if I was to expand on my conversation with Wendy, it would go more into that, on, on, which I did touch on at the end, which was like, when somebody is bigger in, in a space of fashion, but even in comedy, even in um, beauty and all these other spaces, or darker skinned or um, queer or anything like that, that is outside, you know, the, the bounds, I guess, of what people find palatable. Um, they just don't get their flowers. And I, I'm kind of getting despondent in this industry for that reason. I don't know if, I even want to exist in this industry for a long time. I am looking at, you know, studying further next year and kind of branching out into doing like more behind the scenes stuff and maybe being the kind of person who has an agency or something like that, that, that takes care of people like me, like Yoliswa, like Wendy, like Thickly Anse, where it's just like, you know, these girls should be further than they are, but like, you know why they're being held back. So I, I don't know if I've answered your question, but I hope I did. What did you learn about yourself while putting these episodes together? So first of all, I learned that I'm braver than I am um, because, like I said, I think being in your head and, and caring what people think is a big part of a, a lot of people. I don't know anyone. I mean, I wish I did, but I don't know a lot of people who completely, completely don't give a shit. Like, I don't give a shit, but I give a shit. So it's very difficult to 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 kind of have that that thing where you're like, I'm going to put these out and not care what people think and not care about the feedback because I want to make a good product. I want to make a product that relates to the black women, especially that follow me. Um, but I also want people to be heard. I want people who don't get their space behind a mic to have the space to come sit here and have conversations with me. So what I learned is, you know, people do care and that also what I care about is important to a lot of people. But that I'm brave, that I don't have to necessarily not be scared. But despite my fears, despite my anxieties, I am that girl who can push past that and do it. Um, because really it would have taken, it took me probably two years from the first thought to actually putting an episode out just because I was like, Eish, I don't want to be that person who everyone's like, oh, not another girl with a podcast. But ugh, I don't care, man. This has been so awesome. Um, it's been such an experience. And I also learned that I'm, I think, 
a good conversationalist. I mean, I've always known that I love to talk. <laughs> um, and I don't even know if listening has been my biggest skill throughout my life. I think it's something that I've probably struggled with, but I've taken it upon myself to actively listen and actively improve that skill because I do want to be a great host and a great facilitator of important conversations. And so I did learn that I'm actually a good listener and I can you know, engage in a way that really touches people on a deep level. I've got people who I've never met send me the most personal messages after episodes about how the episodes touch them. And I think I learned that I have a gift of engaging in conversations and making people, I don't know, just like getting deeper into things, but also not being judgmental at all um, and making sure that we have a space that black women, black queers, um, black femmes, let me say, are just safe feel safe yeah um okay so this question is when did you start your unique career path and did you ever feel like you were crazy or like giving up well first of all every day at this moment i'm kind of in the position where i feel like giving up but not because i don't feel like i can do this particular career or i'm not good enough i just so you know Yoliswa is one of the examples but i just feel like this industry is not kind and i don't think people are are honest or integral. I think integrity is a very important quality to me and people doing things right is just very important to me. And so living in an industry where people are often very okay to step on people's toes, very okay to backstab, to use people just for clout or things like that. I just, I don't feel like I fit and it's making me very despondent and it's making me feel like I'm just in the wrong place because I'm just not that person who's willing to do these things. So I don't, I, I always thought I was going to be an actress and a comedian and a performer. And I fought my parents well hard for this. But I'm at the point now where I'm like, I'm actually okay to step away from all of this and kind of just be the person who has a career in facilitating and helping other people who come after me not have to deal with as much bullshit as I did. Um, and I still have to sometimes. And just taking care of the girls who are often on the periphery when they should be the star and taking care of people whose content is not often appreciated in South Africa. Because even with Coconut Kells, I've had a great journey with her, um, but I do feel like in a, in a South African consumer sense, it just it's not it doesn't fit here quite. It's not I don't know if South Africans are not ready for satire or we just don't really care about the issues or I don't know. But I feel I feel like I should be somewhere else doing what I do. And I wish um, that opportunity for myself and I'm going to make it happen. But yeah, I think um, to answer your question, I'm still sort of giving up or thinking about giving up. But I also don't think it's necessarily giving up. I think it's just pivoting and rerouting. So I, I don't think you ever really feel like you've made it here. I don't know if there are any people who can speak to that. And I, you know, great if they can, but I think you always think you're crazy when you're doing something that no one else has done. Satire was not my birth child. We've even this country had, you know, Chester Missing. We've had Evita Bezadenhout. Um, we've had satirists before and we've had people who've created characters to then speak about the important issues. But because it was unique in terms of the, the, the content, I was a coconut, you know, that, that kind of content and, and kind of exposing racism, exposing, uh, 
white privilege and in a world that I'd come from was was crazy. And thinking that I could make a career out of it, I didn't actually go into it thinking, ah, I'm going to do this like for a living. It was just kind of like, hey, I have I have these frustrations. I need to like, ah. Um, <laughs> so me being able to live off it was kind of secondary to my main point, which was I need to be able to voice my frustrations without being looked at as the angry black girl. Because unfortunately, even though I am that, um, it is not palatable and people don't listen when you come in a certain angle. So, hey, I feel like giving up a lot. Um there's a lot of bullshit in this in this industry, honestly. And yeah, I feel like I'm still at the point where I'd love to pivot. I think next year you, or in two years' time, you won't even see me. <laughs> I'll just be behind the scenes doing stuff for other creators like myself. Um, and so how do I get through the hard days? Penny, the lady who was on the last... Uh, <laughs> on the last episode, aka my mom, she is extremely spiritual. She's extreme. I, I like. I do call her Iyanla in a sort of, you know, teasy attitude way. Because sometimes I'm like, girl, I don't need advice. I just need you to listen. I don't want you to solve it. I just want you to hear me. But oh my lord, she's one of the funny. She's maybe the funniest person I've ever met. Um. But also she's extremely compassionate and she's always listening to like whatever tear befalls my face because boy, do I cry. Your girl is a crier. Um, but she's always got patience and time. And the rest of my family too. Like, oh, we're just such a group of cheerleaders for each other. Like I'm not the only person who's like working and doing shit. Like my family doesn't do stuff in the spotlight, but everybody's killing it in their own lane. And so I feel like coming, and that includes my friends as well. So coming from just spaces where everybody's so supportive of each other, where everybody's just always cheerleading. The only reason why sometimes it feels like it's weighted towards me is because the the backlash or the hating is a lot bigger when you when you put yourself out in a public sphere but yeah i just i have the best friends i have the best family and sometimes i just don't engage like i just switch off my phone and i go back to real life because i remember that this is not really all the real it's 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 a it's a farce i don't know it's it's a place where we can come and we can enjoy and we can whatever, but it's not the be all and end all of life. Ah, yo. Keep waiting to take sips. This drink is so nice, Shem. Um, <laughs> okay, so the other question is, I know a lot of people ask, what would you tell your younger self? But I'd like to know what you want to share to young black women today who don't know what the journey to being you and oh, to being yourself and growth. Um, Sure, you guys put a lot of, you know, you believe in me a lot <laughs> to be able to give advice to young black women. But I know a lot of young people ask what you would tell your younger self, but I'd like to know what you want to share to young black women today who don't know what the journey to being yourself and to growth. Um, okay, so first of all, you guys believe in me a lot, more than I believe in myself, <laughs> to be able to give you advice. What? Um, but okay, I would say again, there is no one who's going to believe in you more than yourself. And hopefully you have a team of people like your moms, your 
friends, your siblings, your cousins who believe in you just as much and you in them. But for me, what I would want to share to young black people, and I think my mom also spoke about this in the last episode, is to be bold. There is no one who's going to tell you when it's the right time. There's no one who's going to tell you the right way. There is no right time or right way. And the longer you wait and the longer you doubt yourself, the more you just won't do it. So all I would say is, Yo, guys, there are a lot of people who are going to laugh at you along the way. There are a lot of people who are going to send nasty messages or make you doubt yourself because they doubt themselves and because they don't want to see other people have this level of belief in themselves or to go for it. So for me, I would just say you have to block the noise. There's always going to be noise. Oprah Winfrey, Beyonce, anyone you can think of that you love has haters and I don't mean haters in the like old school famous way of like oh my god I got haters I just mean like even in whatever industry you're in whether it's finance um, farming you know agriculture whatever music performing you're going to have people whose vibe whose general disposition it is is to try make you doubt yourself so that you don't do it and I would just say block the noise because having come from it from a public scale, but even on a more personal level, people are going to people. And that is to say that they're going to doubt that you have the ability. They're going to doubt, even if they don't doubt it, but they're going to make you doubt it or they're going to want to make you doubt it. And if you don't have that self-belief, you're going to crumble. So ignore the noise and do it anyway. We all have fears. We all have anxiety. We all have imposter syndrome. Do it anyway. That's my biggest advice. Like, fuck everything do it (laughs) um yeah so looks like young girls who want uh okay that was part of the last question let's move on who is your favorite guest of the season and why i love this question because usually i'd want to be like everyone world peace but i mean i think it's quite obvious that it was my mom yeah, it's a conversation we have a lot. Like we really do talk, my mom and I, about the real. We engage in, we constantly have like moments of feedback. We have moments of holding each other accountable. We have those kind of conversations. So it wasn't new to me and I didn't learn anything entirely new during the interview, except for the fact that I know that she doesn't enjoy <laughs> having a microphone or a camera in her face in order to have these conversations. But her because I just feel like it it resonated so much with people whether they have close relationships with their moms or not or whether they thought they had close relationships because a lot of the times us having close relationships with our parents usually means covering or skipping over a lot of the difficult conversations like having to hold each other accountable having to hold your parents accountable I know that parents are fundamentally human it's what they are but they and they make mistakes, which every human does. But it is also important as a child to be able to say, Mom, Dad, this about growing up really hurt me or kind of threw me for a loop or created a bit of a trauma. Um, and this really was awesome. And this was something that has made me the special person I am today. Um, and just being able to have those honest conversations because we all respect our parents um, and we all love our parents, you know, to some certain degrees. Actually, some people don't, but there is a, a thing that I think that we don't have as black people. And that's enough honesty within our conversations with our parents and our relationship with our parents. So for me to be able to do that, not only just in general with her, but on air 
for an audience of thousands, for people to be able to hear her vulnerabilities, to hear my vulnerabilities, because I'm not very easily vulnerable. Um, I'm very easy to, you know, crack up, to make a joke, to have an awesome time, to also go into the deep about societal issues. But I very rarely let people into me because I feel like I feel like it's some some like a weakness or setting yourself up to be able to be hurt because now people have ammo. But that was an important conversation for me, for black women with daughters um, and just for black people in general with their parents. Remember, it all continues over on the socials at Lesoho underscore Tlabi. Now let's get back into Convos and Cocktails. You really make an effort to speak about uncomfortable topics and questions. Your content is authentic. What have you learned from the many guests you've had? Uh, I think I've kind of answered this, but the one thing that I've learned is that when I started off with the idea of doing a podcast, I kind of had an idea of doing it more related to the Monday topics. So very sex related, relationship related. It was going to be kinky. It was going to be fun. But the more I thought about it, I was like, I'm not just one thing. I love sex. I love talking about it. I love making it a non-motherfucking factor because I feel like so much of the time we treat sex as this like taboo when everybody's having it and everybody enjoys it or at least you should. (laughs) So I wanted to have conversations that I'm like, why would we make something taboo that everybody does and that everybody enjoys doing? Um, And so I decided that I was going to open that up to all the parts of my life that I'm interested in, all the parts of my life about me. Um, and about the guests and about black women in general in their 30s, but also, like I said, younger and older. And my Lord, I'm not answering this question at all. <laughs> but I, I do make it a point to speak about things that are quite uncomfortable because I just don't think they should be. To me, sex is not uncomfortable. Abortions are not uncomfortable. Um, mother-daughter relationships are not uncomfortable. None of this is uncomfortable. But the fact that it is in society is what makes me want to have these conversations because it should be normalized. Termination of pregnancy is not, you know, a wear an A on your on your chest or a scarlet letter or whatever. Like it is just it is what it is. It's a medical procedure that's super fucking helpful to everyone and has changed my life for the better because right now as a mom of a six-year-old, <laughs> I would not be able to be doing half the stuff I want to do. So, you know, very helpful um, to have these conversations because people live in shame in things that should not be shameful. And I'll say that again. <laughs> people often live in shame and in the shadows for things that should not be shameful. And I just wanted to make sure that we normalize these things and that other people understand that all of us or at least a majority of us or a great group of us go through the same things. So you don't have to feel alone. Maybe in your friendship group, you're the only one who's had a, an abortion or in your friendship group, you're the only one who, you know, is, has a sex toy or is vocal about masturbation, but you're not the only one in the world. And there's a, a little circle of us that are willing to have these kind of conversations and also let you know that it's not weird to have certain thoughts, weird to do certain things. Um, So, yeah. And so the one question was actually specifically about my, you know, my personal experience with termination or abortion. And it uh, so it was a great segue. You see how I'm doing this? This guy is anyway. (laughs) How did you navigate your abortion? I recently had one and I don't think there's any emotions I've attached to it, but I want to disclose to my parents so they just know. Um. 
So the question is, how did I navigate it? I don't know. It wasn't specifically the easiest thing in the world. Emotionally, I wasn't really attached because from before I even fell pregnant, I was like, that's not something I'm going to ever go through if it happens to me. I know that I'm team, um, you know, Mary Stokes, team Planned Parenthood, things like that. And I also felt like super fucking weird that it happened in my mid-20s because it's one of those things that to me in my head it was like you make these type of mistakes or whatever it is when you're like 18 19 when you're navigating sex for the first time but like how at your big age girl are you navigating this <laughs> so there was a bit of a shame spiral I went down for a little while but like I said my mom was the first person I told as soon as I found out and I think more than anything she helped me navigate it because hers was very very unjudgmental it was just like girl, you know we can raise this baby, right? And I was like, I I mean, I, I know we could, but I really, really don't want to. And I love that we have the option in this country not to. So, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have to navigate much. There was a point in time where I had to go buy a, I think it was a month later, my friend's baby was turning one. And so she obviously had sent invitations and I had to go buy, I don't know, some baby grows or whatever it was. Maybe it was a baby shop. No, it was a one-year-old. Anyway, I went to go buy clothes at a baby shop. And only when I went there a month later did I then have a, an emotional reaction to the termination. And it was in the shop and I was just like, oh. um, but also not because of regrets. Like I, one thing in my life that I'm very sure about is that I don't regret that decision. But it was just a bit like, shit, I haven't, I don't think I really sat down and thought about how emotional this can actually be. So that was a bit wild, but yeah, um, I navigated it fine. My mom was there for me. The person who I would say would have been the father at that time, my ex, was also really great about it. My friends were great about it. Like one thing about me is I'm really vocal. And I honestly feel like the reason why I do these conversations is because being vocal has helped me deal with a lot of things. I think when you hide something and you make it a part of a shame, which it shouldn't be, is when it then eats at you. But once you start speaking about it, you then meet a lot of people who are, oh my God, girl, me too. Oh my God, same. And then you're like, oh shit, like, like, I didn't have to go through this alone, number one. And I'm not the only one. I'm not the first person to have an abortion in this country. And it's not, it's not a it's not a thing. It's not a negative, you know. Um, the more you speak about things, sometimes the more you find your tribe. And your tribe might not even be your closest friends. But yeah, I just hope we get to a, a spot where, you know, especially termination is just not spoken about as if it's like a, a secret or a shame. Anyway, um, yeah, so again, oh, no, this question is about my work, which is great. Thanks, guys. One question about work <laughs> outside of the podcast. But thoughts on satirical art, cultural criticism, and pop culture commentary in essay. <sighs> um, hey, guys, I don't think we have a a big satirical art corner of society. I think there are a lot of people who think they're doing satire and by that they put on outfits and pretend they are their helpers or, you know, speak as if they're black women and they are white men. Uh, you know, and that to me is punching down and it's not at all the same thing as satire. And I hate that people just put the word satire on anything that has a character when satire is a critique 
of power and it cannot be you punching down so anyway uh, my thoughts on it is that we are lacking as fuck and I think South Africa is also the kind of country that's not ready for these conversations we think we are but just seeing how people dealt with coconut curls the first time she came out how many people thought I was a real person how many people hated me because of that and still do to a certain extent and even when they do get it I'm just like yeah but what are you saying I'm like a lot actually <laughs> but you know it is what it is either you get it or you don't it's fine um, and the way that people deal with things that they don't understand and the harshness with which they critique people I don't see a big satirical I don't know what to call it like a neighborhood a big satirical society oh, go Sam. I don't I don't think it exists in this country um, I would love to be put onto other satirists I think we've done it in in comics but again for me if you're coming as a as a white comic and you're doing things that critique black people you need to be very very careful that your thing doesn't slip into racism because even some of our most famous comics have been pretty fucking racist honestly and it's just been like oh because they're funny and it's like no well not really so I don't know. I don't know about how I feel about if we even have that here. I know that, you know, for instance, Trevor Noah had to then travel and move rather to be able to get his satirical stuff taken seriously or, you know, be able to even do it. So I don't know. Send me some satir satirists. I would love to see other people doing this kind of thing. I, I just feel like it's a very untapped market. If you're a satirist, like, go ahead, bro. Like, there's so much space. There, there's just no one really doing that kind of work um, in, a, in a good way or doing it well. S well, except me. <laughs> but um, I'd love to see more of it. There's a lot of cultural criticism, but I think that some people are coming from the angle to just hurt or to make, to ridicule rather than to to hold truth to power. So there's a lot of cultural criticism and pop culture commentary in South Africa. And most of it is just about dragging. Oh, we want to drag this person next day, drag this person, ha ha ha, laughing, getting clout off being a total asshole. And I don't, I don't get it, but whatever. It's another reason why I don't really know if I can stay here forever. Um, yay! Okay, I like these type of questions. Now we're also going to get into the more personal because I've done the career and thank you for joining me for that journey. <laughs> but the question is, um, have you kissed a female besides your family member? Okay, so I'm guessing this means like in a sexual connotation. Um, I have. I, I kissed a girl. I didn't like it though. So just because for me, like, hey guys, I love a man. Oh, in daughter. And I don't love men because they, they're trash, but I love a man. <laughs> so I'm definitely, uh, it's just, it happened, varsity, woo, 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 girls gone wild or whatever, but not my thing. So it is what it is. Anyway, um, how many times have you been in love and would you ever go back for a love bag? <laughs> Sorry, the second part of the question is wild because no, no. Um, have I ever, how many times have I been in love? Once, properly. I mean, I say I'm in love like every second week. Ask my mom and, and my friends. Every time I meet someone that I think is like really dope, I'm like, oh my God, I'm in love. Meanwhile, girl, no, you're not. You're just really infatuated or, you know, like I'm, I'm that girl. I believe in love. I believe in, you know, all the butterflies and whatever. But if I look at it and think about it in a proper, proper sense, um, I can genuinely say only once. Uh, 
And no, I would not go back for a love back because a once bitten, twice shy. Like, it's okay. Let's move on. Um, you know, shit happens. Shit ends for a reason. And you need to like not be you can't throw a banana away in the trash and then go dig in the trash and eat it again and expect it not to get food poisoning. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> wow. Quotes and more like these on the romantic repertoire. Um, so yeah, no, <laughs> I would not. But also, I'm friends with my ex uh, or exes. I mean, I've got a few. One of them I was, like I said, in love with, but I'm, we're friendly. We're fine. I don't ha- wish bad on people, but... I'm also not trying to, you know, catch up to Chloe's statistics. So it is what it is. Anyway, let's move on to today's love. (laughs) Although, wow, strong word. Anyway, um, can we get a full story on how you met Um, Ah, Guys, I've spoken about this many times. I'm so sure. Anyway, it was on Bumble. I've never had, I had Bumble like, I think two or three years ago for like a week. And then I was like, what is this hellhole? And why must South African women be subjected to this? I have since learned that you can make your location anywhere in the world. Even when you're in Johannesburg, you can say you're in Paris and you can meet Parisians. But I only downloaded it the day I landed in Paris after um, Afro-Nation. And I went on a series of dates, which is also something nice about being in Europe. I feel like in South Africa, we don't normalize just dating. Like where it's not your man, it's not... You know, when we go on dates in South Africa, it's like two dates and then you must declare something. Oh, I hate that shit. Like the experience I got in Europe was like three, four dates a week um, with different people and not having to ever speak again or you speak again and then it fizzles or whatever. Anyway, he was one of the Bumble people. Um, but he kept coming back. Like even when I go on dates with other people, I would see him again. And oh, and oh, Moshe, Moshe. <laughs> and yeah, you know what? Although, so some of the other questions have to do with like, what's the status now? Are you guys still chatting? Hey guys, long distance is the wrong distance. Okay. First of all, that was my motto before leaving, but even more so now. So yes, we're still talking, um, but I think it's more like cool friends that like sometimes video fuck <laughs> and we'll see each other if I would it go back you know um but it's no longer at the place where it's like love of my life i'm singing a lot this is also what i do in real life so anyway it is what it is but um it's very difficult to maintain something over two c's two c's hour but anyway we do chat we have a good time i think i would say it's more like a friendship with benefits but i mean in Joburg, I'm still going to go on dates. I'm still on Bumble. Although, oh my God. Guys, what the hell? Vary folk. Okay, because the options here. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad, guys. Oh, no ways. What the hell? Anyway, I'm still open to going on dates here. I'm not married. I'm not in a relationship. But I will say that in France... Everybody is good looking. Everybody is like minimum 180 centimeters. Everybody is childless, never been married. Like those statistics, uh, and I'm talking about from like a black guy vantage point because I'm kind of, you know, into my ebony. Um, So I just, I don't understand what's happening in South Africa. With women, y'all, well, uh, us, we are so fly. And and not to say, you're... You know what? <laughs> Do you know where the danger is? 
it's on South African Bumble and yeah, it's rough. But no, I'm not Om's girlfriend. Having a good time, having a great time actually, but it's not really the most realistic thing in the world for me because I'm not there. Um, were you ever confused that you were making the right choice of career in your 20s? Baby, I'm in my 30s and I'm still not sure. Like I've said before, I've already touched on this, but I don't think you ever really can be sure. Things change all the time and I'm a Sagittarius and maybe that has to do with my dating preferences where I'm just like in love every week. Career-wise, I'm just interested in so much and I'm losing interest in the the public platform part of this job that I currently do. So I am looking to to see if I can pivot. And we did an episode on that. I think it was episode four, speaking about pivoting and, and trying new things because you don't have to be married to one thing because you did it in your 20s or because you did it in your 30s. Anytime you feel like you need to make a change, just figure out, speak to people in that industry, how you can make that pivot. For me right now, advertising is looking real cute. I was about to do it before Kells. Um, didn't quite work out because Kells then started popping, but starting to look back that way and see what the opportunities are for me there. So still confused. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and don't be worried about your friends, by the way. Like one other thing we do in our 20s and actually throughout life is, you know that term, stay in your lane. We don't do that. You want to be looking, ah, oh, this person's getting married. This person's getting engaged. This person's having a baby. This person's a CEO already. This person's bought a house, a car. Like, guys, you got to focus on your own because one thing that looking at other people will do is depress you and make you feel like you're not doing enough and you fucking are. And there is no, there's no other lane but yours. So there's no point in looking at others and comparing yourself because just because someone got married at 26 and you really wanted that for yourself, it's not happening. So move, 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 move. We move and sit and stop having milestones as well. I think living by, by 36, I will be here. By 24, I will be here is, is a setup for failure and for disappointment. So stop setting goals for yourself. I mean, have goals. I have a five-year plan that's like open-ended. I have a plan that I, you know, short-term plan for like what I want to do next year. But I also give myself grace for if those things don't happen especially things that you can't control like marriage. Um, I think you need to have more grace and stop putting exact ages, but rather say, this is what I want to do. And this is the step. All I can do is focus on the first step and then the next step. And then the next step, I can't focus on the goal because, you know, consistency is what gets you there. Would you like to get married? Short answer. No. And I'll take a sip and then tell you why. <laughs> No, I don't want to get married. Um, the permanence of marriage. Permanency. <laughs> One of those words. Um, it's too much, bro. Forever. Forever, ever. Forever, ever. Number one. And number two, I, I just feel like men are so un <laughs> unpredictable, unreliable. Isn't it? Every day. So... Um, no, I don't want to be married. Also, yo, the idea of not just being able to like, and I wouldn't do this in a committed relationship either, but just the idea of not being able to say, I'm moving to Spain tomorrow. You know why? Because I got a job or I have a desire to like just suddenly live in Spain and have a person say, you can't or, wow, sorry. So I, at the moment, it does not look attractive to me at all, given how much of a nomad spirit I have, 
how much I still want to have happen, make happen. And I'm not saying that happens, you know, it can't happen within marriage. I know plenty of married women who have gone to study overseas or, you know, their family has moved. Um, I just personally, I don't, I don't like the idea of being in something that is extremely difficult to leave. Um, I should be there every morning forever just because I want to, not because the courts or God or whoever said, Ain't no way out. Um, but I do love it for other people. Gosh, I love a wedding. Hey, one thing about me, your girl loves a wedding. So I will be there um, for you guys. But one thing I don't see myself ever doing is walking down the aisle. Big party, commitment ceremony, something, <laughs> promise rings. Cool. But um, no. Anyway, um, not a question. Thank you for sharing your abortion story. I felt validated and, lo- and not alone. This is why I do what I do. This is why the topics are what they are, because you need to know that you're not alone. You need to feel validated. You need to feel like it's not something to be ashamed of. And I don't know if God put me here to be that vessel um, because I'm not religious, but I am very spiritual. And I do feel like I was born for this specific space. And I do it with Kels as well. I do it with Monday Topics. I do it, um, I guess, with the podcast is having the conversations that other people maybe find are a bit difficult or a bit sticky um, and having them and making sure that you all know that it ain't no thing but a chicken wang. <laughs> um, yeah. How are you doing, What a great question. I am so happy. I'm really happy. And I don't know if that's from my trip, because before I left, I felt very stifled. I felt very um, unsure of my place in this industry, in this job I'm doing in South Africa. It was not great, but I'm so content. I'm so happy. I'm not really sure that I want to continue doing what I want to do, but I have actionable next steps that are going to take me to where I want to go. So I'm content. I'm happy. Thank you so much. May you please do a reel on your tattoos. Um, I mean, it's not personal. She says, hopefully not too personal. It's not personal. I mean, I can't talk about them here because I can't show you them. But I guess if more people want to see that, I could. Some of them also don't even mean stuff. Like some of them are aesthetic. I like pretty things. I like what tattoos look like on me. So not every single one of my tattoos has a story. About 99% of them do, though. Um, but going forward, I just want to get some stuff that also is just aesthetically pleasing. Um, so, yeah. Questions. What is scaring you lately? Ah, I'm not scared of a lot lately. I'm not scared of a lot. I think the idea of not being able to move overseas, I think, is daunting, but it's not scary because I know I'm going to make it happen. Um, the idea of being a woman in South Africa, though, is fucking scary. Oh, it's not a joke, this country that we live in. Like, there's one thing with, like, complaints about petrol prices and electricity and, like, I get all that shit, but just not knowing when your turn is to to be raped, to be assaulted, to be in a relationship where there's GBV, even going on a date. My mom's biggest fear on me being on like apps, for instance, is like, you never know who you're going to meet. You never know if the next person you meet is going to be your murderer. You never know if the next person you meet is going to be your abuser. You know, I mean, that also doesn't only relate to apps because it can happen even if it's a friend of a friend, but it's just wild that we have to live in a country 
of that fear. So actually that's scaring me as hell. And it's also scaring me that our leaders are doing nothing about it. We have the most complacent leaders when it comes to issues of GBV. And I wish I could move somewhere where they take it more seriously. What is inspiring you lately? My desire to move. <laughs> My desire to move is inspiring me lately. Um, I honestly hope and pray that this time next year, I'll be reporting to you live from Paris, from Berlin, from England, somewhere. That is that is inspiring me lately. I've been applying like a crazy person for all sorts of postgrad qualifications and also other people in the space who don't fit the, like I said, the cookie cutter ideal of what South Africa thinks beauty is are inspiring me. People who are able to to do it despite the barriers and the hurdles and kill it, even when they're overlooked, are inspiring me. So those are the girlies I'm 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 really into right now. Do people tell you how much you're loved? Um I do get told how much I'm loved. And I don't mean by strangers, although that's also a factor which is so amazing because it's so weird to be able to say to say I love you too to somebody who knows I don't know who the fuck they are but like genuinely the positivity the energy I love that I love your spirit I love how kind you guys are how generous you are how much space you give me to be me and the feedback like it's actually insane how nice people are because <laughs> I really don't genuinely think people are, are very nice and I never wanted to put myself out there because I didn't think people were nice but like Y'all are nice. I love you too. Um, but my family and my friends do let me know how much I'm loved and vice versa. I don't, I mean, I say I love you all the time. It's like probably could be my quote if I was in a yearbook. Um, but yeah. How do you decompress and send to yourself? Music, hanging out with people I love, my friends, my family, and a nice drink, a nice drink. Yeah. Um, maybe also like masturbating, which, sorry, <laughs> but it's a decompressor of note. Yeah, but I would say mostly listening to music and dancing and singing at the top of my voice, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, so other things are just mainly compliments here. So I don't really want to be like, well, you're so gorgeous on air, but also thanks. <laughs> um, and so for the rest of it, I think I've answered most of the, the questions. Um, if you have personal questions, I'm always keen to answer stuff on my Instagram. So anytime you want to talk, let's talk. Um, you know, I, I try as much as possible to answer all the questions I can. But I just wanted to spend a little bit of the last five minutes, two minutes, one minute, just saying thank you, because this has been such an incredible season. It's the most personal project I think I've ever taken on to put myself out there like that, to have my guests put themselves out there like that, to scrutiny, to possible you know, negative feedback, whatever it is, and just how positive and how supportive you guys have all been have been the reason why we're even contemplating a season two. I was just going to do like a 10 episode, like, yay, this is something that I can listen to forever and it'll live here forever. But, you know, having people just be like, we want more, we want more. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, it's been, before I make myself cry, because, oh, you know, your girl. Just thank you to all the guests this season, every single one of you who've taken the time to come to studio, to open yourself up, to pour yourself out to me and to the audience and to the audience for listening, for downloading, for streaming. Each one counts and it really makes a difference. And 
It's why we are one of the top podcasts, new podcasts in SA. And I can't wait for season two. And I can't wait to continue giving you what you want, but also what I want. <laughs> um, and lastly, to Wesley, um, to Tiro, who's here every single episode, um, to the whole team at WMG and Solid Gold Podcasts, thank you so much for everything. I am so appreciative. This has been the best time of my life. And I hope to see you again before the end of the year. Good night. Goodbye. It's not even night. <laughs> Convos and Cocktails, produced in partnership with the Sukhothabi and WMG Rep. Drinks never end at the bar. So join me over at the socials with your cocktail where we get to continue the conversations. Simply follow me at the Sukhothabi. See you there. Recorded at Solid Gold Podcast. Solid Gold. To be understood, you must first be heard. I look forward to our next Convos and Cocktails and don't forget, Mo Money, Mo Hito, or whatever Biggie said.